Hey everyone, welcome to the Behavior Trap Podcast featuring your host, Alan Lowe. The Behavior Trap Podcast is an interview-based format show that features everyday ambitious behavior analysts that are currently working towards getting their certificate, or already have one. I believe every behavior analyst is making a difference, and well, I want to hear how they got there, what school was like, what they would do differently, and finally, what they're doing now. Hey John, how are you? Good afternoon, Alan. I'm doing fantastic here in this quarantine. How are you doing? Well, I'm not quarantined yet, so I'm pretty happy about it. Wonderful. I hope you're enjoying your freedom, sir. Where are you from? I am from Toronto, uh, up here in Canada, or down here in Canada. Down there in Canada. Were you born and raised there, or was that somewhere you moved to previously? I've been born and raised here, sir. I've been a Torontonian my whole life. You like hockey? Uh, it's not my number one sport, but, uh, you know, I'm kind of obliged to get behind it. I'm a volleyball player myself. Ooh, okay. Uh, growing up, what was like some of your favorite sports that you were into? Uh, so growing up, the main sport was soccer. Um, was a goaltender most of my life into college. And then, uh, I recently made the switch to beach volleyball. Beach volleyball. Is there a lot of beaches in Canada? Uh, no, unfortunately not. But in Toronto, we're, we're fortunate enough to have um, some indoor beach facilities that are actually opened all year round, which is pretty remarkable. Oh, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm assuming they're closed around this time then. The uh, yes. Yeah, that is correct. Oh, that's a bummer. Well, I hope, hopefully everything goes away pretty soon and you can get back out there and some indoor beach volleyball. Absolutely. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. <laughs> So we're going to go ahead and get started. There's a few questions I want to ask you. Let's do it. What got you into behavior analysis and what's your backstory for getting into the field? So interestingly enough, I was actually pursuing um, a career in law enforcement. So straight out of high school, uh, I kind of wanted to jump into a career where I was helping people, I was in the community, and I just had that, that uh, drive to do that. And so... I pursued a career in that by starting by going to university and getting an undergrad in psych. So everything I was doing was to, I guess, beef up my resume um, to, again, enter a career in law enforcement. So I got a psych degree, and I began working um, with children and adults with special needs at an amazing organization called uh, the Meta Center. And I began to work with children with special needs, adults with special needs. And it was a wide range of special needs from Down syndrome, Prader-Willi, autism, all sorts of stuff. And it was an amazing experience. Um, so for the next four years of my life, I was working with special needs. And it started to feel like that's what I needed to be doing with my life. Um, and then so after I graduated from psych, I was looking for a different avenue while still working with special needs. So I looked into becoming uh, a behavioral therapist at an organization, again, also in Toronto, at an IBI clinic. Um, yeah, so as I was doing IBI, I found my, my rhythm, so to speak, and I really enjoyed working with children with autism, but IBI wasn't meshing with, I guess, my philosophy very well, because with IBI, there's, you know, it's intensive, so a lot of kids don't necessarily respond well to that. 
So as I was doing a little bit of research in ABA, I found that there was actually uh, a PRT clinic in Toronto as well. So PRT, as I'm sure you know, stands for pivotal response treatment, which is another therapy in ABA, um, but it's play-based, more naturalistic. So I went down that avenue, found a PRT clinic, and I was there for three years. And at that clinic, I became a senior therapist, leveled up my PRT status to PRT level three. Um, and then I also started my journey in my graduate studies. So I completed my master's degree two years ago at the School of Arizona State University. So I was working full-time, uh, getting my master's in ABA. Um, and then the path changed to me becoming board certified. Uh, and that's where I am now. So whenever you say level three um, PRT, I see that a lot in people's resumes. What exactly does that mean, level three PRT? So in pivotal response treatment, it goes from level one to five. And essentially, level one is the first certification. You can do it online. You study, pass a test, you're level one certified. Uh, in order to get level two, level three, level four, you're actually submitting video to the Kegel Institution where you're uh, performing different skills. So I think level two, oh my goodness, if my memory serves me correctly, um, you're working on, uh, I guess, getting language using PRT methodology uh, in a certain amount of time. I can't remember specifically. Um, yeah, and then level five is you're able to train the trainer and yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And you, what school did you say you attended? Arizona State University. Arizona. What made you choose a school within the States compared to being in Canada? Um, so I had a lot of colleagues in the field who were explaining that, you know, master's is a requirement. If you're going to advance in this field, you need a master's degree, which is completely understandable. And they mentioned that Arizona State has an amazing online program. It's not too taxing. It's not too demanding. Um, so I looked into it. I applied. And uh, yeah, it fit, it fit my schedule. What was your day-to-day -day routine like? Was it nonstop studying, late nights, early mornings? What was it like? Uh, so I still was working full-time at the PRT clinic, um, acting as a senior therapist at that point. So I was working full-time, and the course itself demanded around 20 hours a week of, of work. And, you know, I like to use the analogy of, like, life is a flow. So some weeks I would, day-to-day, -day, I'd be buckling down right after work, come home, maybe grab a bite, and then hit the books, study for three, four hours a night. Uh, on other weeks, if I'm being completely honest, I'm skipping. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing work Monday, not doing work Tuesday, not doing work Wednesday, and leaving it all to the weekend. So definitely my schedule would fluctuate. Um, I'm just kind of trying to ride the waves of life, so to speak. Um, yeah. Who was your uh, supervisor during this period of time, or did you have one? Uh, yes. So this is an interesting topic. So I actually, in my uh, supervision uh, path, I had two seniors. So the first experience um, wasn't a very positive one. And so I'm going to 
leave the name of my supervisor out, but my second supervisor, who was amazing, uh, his name is Jason Ozio. Uh, this gentleman was absolutely remarkable. Uh, he had a very, very unique way of, of keeping things professional, but also fun, like formal and informal. Um, yeah, so his name was Jason Ozio, and he's actually from California. I met him uh, through Arizona State University. So we were actually classmates for one or two classes, I believe. Uh, and he was already BCBA certified. He also has his um, master's in counseling. He's a family counselor. So the man's list of credentials is just endless. What was the one thing you remember most about him? Um, again, his his ability to, I guess, keep me motivated. I'm not the easiest student, I will admit, but yeah, he had this very natural way of, of keeping things light um, while also not deferring from the amount of work that we had to do because supervision is quite intense. But I was always motivated for our, our weekly meetings. Um, he never made me feel, you know, um, incompetent. Like he allowed me to ask silly questions, which is important. And yeah, just he allowed me to learn at my own pace, which was very important to me. Do you have any tips for incoming graduate students that are possibly looking into getting into a program? Yes, definitely. So, um, again, going back to my analogy before, life is a flow. So when you're in school, um, your motivation is going to spike sometimes, it's going to dip, and we just kind of have to go with it. So don't be overwhelmed. Be excited at the work that you're going to have to do because it does shape you into a better clinician. I think that's a really interesting point that no one's brought up yet. There's been times during my graduate program where some days I'm like, oh, I'm just going to keep going and write tons of literature reviews. I'm going to make tons of outlines. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read five articles today when I, when I get bored. But then some days I'm like, I don't want to open up a textbook. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it actually stems into a kind of a different realm of the more like, dare I say, like a spiritual realm, right? Where your energy is your energy. Some days it's up, some days it's down. Some days it starts off great and then you lose it all of a sudden. So the idea is like, go with it. Don't be too hard on yourself. Um, and yeah, do hard work. During your graduate program, was there any topics that like really stood out to you where, for example, with me, like whenever <clears throat> we're learning about FCT, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. But like, I, I know that it's very important, but it was definitely a topic where I'm like, all right, I understand it, but I'm interested in more like renewal, like renewal and resurgence or different topics. What about you? Um, great question. Uh, I think a topic that, again, from the start of my career in school and also professionally, that's always interested me is uh, reinforcement. And I know we've heard it a thousand times and, you know, it's been written about a thousand times, but I think reinforcement with human behavior is so interesting to me because although we, again, usually it's, it's I guess, black and white, find what's reinforcement. Um, increase the behavior, but to actually dissect what is reinforcement and what is reinforcing to behavior itself is really interesting to me. 
what was your biggest takeaway from the graduate program? Like any schooling, it teaches you how to learn. And that's extremely important in the field of behavioral analysis. Learning how to um, find valid information from peer-reviewed articles or find valid information from you know, a valid source and either use that to support an argument. Um, so my biggest takeaway from school was, again, how to learn, how to be a good student, how to derive information from credible places. So our next topic, which we're going to go into, is thesis. What was your thesis topic about? Mm. Did you have one, or was there a topic of interest that you looked into a lot? So fortunately, um, I was not required to do a thesis, because as I've heard from many of my colleagues, it's a, a tough mountain to climb. But what I had to do for my program is a, a, a culmination paper. So we had to basically tie in everything that we've learned from the first course up to the end of our, our schooling. And we had to focus on, again, four main topics, find peer-reviewed articles, support them, and also reference the, uh, the compliance code and the task list. So the four topics that I really enjoyed and that I put in my paper was, again, reinforcement. I spoke about problem behaviors, uh, functional communication, and assessments. And I think, you know, across any BCBA uh, in the world, like these are four main cornerstones of, of what we do. How did you get interested in that? Um, I think, um, again, I, I learned that these four areas, if you want to be an excellent clinician, you need to be a master of, of what these are. Because we know that, again, reinforcement shapes behaviors. Um, problem behaviors are, are very prominent in the work that we do. Uh, and again, a lot of them tie into issues with communication um, and needing the ability to communicate functionally. And of course, assessments, right? We, assessments guide us on how, to, how we create behavior intervention plans for all of our families. What were some of the challenges that you had during this period of time when you were trying to write the paper? I think the biggest challenge um, when writing about, you know, very mainstream topics like reinforcement, problem behaviors, was keeping, uh, I guess, a new approach to it. So I did my best to, I guess, use my own experiences just to keep it, again, fresh because there's lots of research, there's lots of papers on reinforcement, and I just want to keep it creative. So that was probably my number one challenge with this, this final paper. Following finishing that paper, did you have to do anything with it? Did it get published? How does that work in Canada? Uh, so un unfortunately, there was no publication. Um, again, it was just kind of a final paper. It's supposed to mimic a thesis, so... I think mine was 25, 28 pages long. Again, the idea was it encompasses everything you've learned. Um, yeah, so there was no publication. Yeah. So when you were trying to come up with like a topic of interest, was this the first one that you thought of or was there anything else that stood out to you that you would have liked to dive into? Uh, it definitely was not my first choice. If I was going to pursue a thesis... Uh, a research paper that was going to be published, I think I would um, 
dive into a topic that some people might think is a little taboo, uh, and that is the comparison of CBD with stereotypical behavior or stereotypy. So uh, again, I know this is quite controversial, and the only reason I kind of um, looked into it a little more recently is because cannabis and marijuana is legal here in, in Canada and in Toronto. Um, and there's actually a wide range of, of research that's previously been conducted and also currently being conducted um, comparing CBD and, and THC chemicals uh, in the treatment of things like Parkinson's and uh, epilepsy. Um, and there's, in, in reference to autism specifically, there isn't a wide range of research. And I think, you know, I'd really like to fill in that gap uh, so that would be my first choice, um, testing CBD on stereotypical behaviors, because I think it might be a very valid source or a valid option to help reduce some some stereotypy. Yeah, and I know like CBT, like it doesn't have like the large amounts of like THC in it, so like you don't get like those psychedelic effects of marijuana, so you can't technically get high. Are you? Or is like the company you work for, have you guys looked into any more research into this? Have you guys done anything in particular? Anything you're involved with? Uh, again, great question. So I'm actually, I actually have my own company. So I started my own uh, practice, if you will, called uh, the Colors of the Spectrum ABA. And I am the only person in this, in this company. So uh, again, previously working at Autism Clinic, I branched out um, just because, again, I didn't want to be following the philosophy of, of someone else. I wanted to kind of be in control of how I treat families, what, I, what we treat families with. And so, yeah, I, it's just me right now acting BCBA and acting as a therapist. And I have uh, 10 or 11 families. And so to answer your question, yes, I've been doing research in uh, CBD. I've actually been contacting um, different medical clinics that uh, prescribe marijuana to patients. And I've been inquiring, you know, do they have children? Do they have adolescents? Do they have adolescents with autism? Has marijuana ever been prescribed? And interestingly enough, the answer has been yes quite a few times. So um, that's very exciting to see. And I think in the near future, it's probably going to be used as, as a treatment um, to help aid with some of the symptoms of autism. Do you hope one day that maybe your business will kind of possibly use this as like a practice? Or do you think we're, we're quite a way from this actually being a um, thing? I would love it if if um, my clinic and my practice could use CBD as an aid. Obviously, it's not, um, you know, an, an entire treatment in itself. It needs to be paired with ABA. Uh, it needs to be paired with all sorts of different intervention strategies. But as an aid to help uh, balance, again, some of those very intensive stereotypy behaviors, I think there's a lot of promise. Um, and I've actually been... I guess, interviewing some of my families to see what their take would be. And I want to say 90%, if not 95% of my families are definitely interested in the idea. Um, so lots of promise there. Super excited about that. And you know, like 
I feel like a lot of the research with um, CBD and like marijuana, I feel like you could do a lot of like translational research. Like, yeah, you want to have some basic research involved and like you wouldn't mind having like the kids with the diagnosis disorder or any like developmental disorder. But like even just using CBD on typical developing individuals, like just getting some research based on that would be kind of interesting to look at. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And again, all the research that I've come across, I, I've yet to find any, I guess, negative or negatively impactful results from the use of CBD. Um, but again, I know one of the main concerns for a lot of the families out there is, first of all, what am I giving my kid? Um, you know, what are the long-term effects? We don't really know the long-term effects and stuff like that. So there's definitely a lot of questions, but at the same time, there's even more promise. Are there any other clinics in Canada that you know of that are looking into like the same types of practices that you are, or is this kind of, kind of your solo man currently? Uh, are you referring to the CBD? Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, definitely. I haven't heard of any autism clinics, uh, branching out and using CBD as a, as part of their intervention plan. And again, unfortunately, I think it's going to be a long time before, um, clinics start doing that because of course there's lots of, you know, red tape to get across. Um, but I would love it if I could be one of the first, one of the forefronts to do that because again, in the field of, of marijuana, hemp, CBD, THC, and even other psychedelics, like the research is expanding and it's really wonderful to see that what was once, uh, I guess, illegal, so frowned upon is now being used as, um, you know, a therapy for many different people. And I think that's just remarkable. Exactly. Because I mean, we could say that marijuana like treats depression and oh, it does this for kids with ASD, but that's just like a theory. Like the next step mm -hmm. is your translational research. Then following translational is the practice. It's like the pyramid. Absolutely. So we're going to keep, go ahead and keep going. Mm -hmm. So following graduation, like what was your experience like? Was it easy finding a job? Did you automatically just want to start a business? Was this something you've been thinking about for a while? What happened? So I think um, lots of graduate students are, I guess, were somewhat in this position where you've already had your foot in the door career-wise, and uh, you just decided, like myself, just to progress yourself. So I was still working at uh, the PRT clinic uh, while I completed my, my graduate studies, and I returned back there, or I continued there, I should say, um, until I completed my supervision hours with my supervisor. Um, it was around that time that, again, that I realized that, yeah, I think I do want to branch out, kind of start my own practice, and uh, I guess be the, the drummer to my own beat, or whatever that phrase is. Um, and I think, you know what, with this comes a very, very awesome teaching point that I would love to share. Your happiness and your peace of mind and your value should be reflected in the work that you do and also should be uh, highlighted by your employers. So you need to be working somewhere that you, A, are happy with, you're motivated by, and also that, again, your employers appreciate you and value your work. And it's okay if you're in a place where that's not happening or not, I guess, possible. But again, it should come 
it should be a priority for everyone. You need to be your own advocate. And you know, it's kind of interesting. A lot of the people that I've interviewed from Canada, I have yet to interview anyone from Canada who does not have their own business. So this must be a popular thing. Uh, yeah, because I think the, um, I guess the regulations here are, are definitely a lot different. So as long as you, um, so for my process, for instance, I registered a business. I, again, got my all my accreditations for that, my HST, whatever I need for taxes. And that was it. One-time fee, you're registered, you have a business. Um, and then it just goes back to like what your credentials are. So at that time, I was a senior therapist. Um, and again, the regulations for ABA and, and who provides what, it's quite loose in relation to how it is in the States. Um, but they're getting much better with that. Like, uh, I'm hoping that a lot of families know that whoever's giving you ABA services, they should be BCBA um, and their therapists should be RBT certified. But unfortunately, there's not really a very strong governing body for that. And there's a lot of, uh, I guess, private places that, you know, ethically might not be in alignment and they're more running a business than they are a treatment center. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, the uh, the certification or the board steps in a little bit more to kind of identify these places that, again, are running a business more so than running uh, a therapy clinic. Mm -hmm. So how does insurance work then for what you're doing? How does like how does that work in Canada? So previous to my BCBA certification, um, families were doing this privately. So unfortunately, it was coming out of pocket. And uh, again, I didn't have an insurance board, um, I guess, to report to. Like, I didn't really have to send, uh, I guess, graphs and data collection to insurance companies, so to speak. So the insurance that I was referring to, um, oh, sorry. I'm confusing myself with taxes. Um, yeah, so in terms of insurance, there are, like, families have the option of either paying privately. Um, I wouldn't say it's, it's an option, but some families uh, who don't qualify or who are on a wait list to get funding, unfortunately, their options are either wait for funding and get no services for your child or go the route of, of private. And so, again, that's where I was up until my BCBA certification. So families, unfortunately, again, were paying uh, out of pocket. And, yeah, I didn't have to submit behavior intervention plans or graphs to an insurance company. And I know that's quite different for you guys in the States. So what was, like, the main thing that inspired you to start your own business? Was it the philosophy reason or...? Um, yeah, I realized, again, after completing my master's, after completing my 1500 hours of supervision, it, it was unfortunately only then that I began to, I guess, acknowledge what I had to offer families. And it, it gave me the confidence to kind of move into my own direction and realize that, you know what, hey, I can do this. I have experience behind me, have the knowledge behind me. 
Um, why not? Why not now? Why not pick up, start your own practice, and just see how that goes? So now I'm in my second year of functioning. Again, it's only been me, and um, what's great is I'm actually looking into branching out, hiring new therapists. So it's been going very well. What's one thing you wish you knew before you started your business? I wish I started earlier. <laughs> I wish I had the confidence to, uh, again, kick it off earlier than I did. I think I would have been a little more ahead than I am now. But again, like I mentioned before, life is a flow. So um, I am comfortable now that I'm in the place I'm supposed to be in. And do you have any tips for those maybe graduating looking for a job? Uh, yes. So, and I think this can, this can be related to lots of young people. It's the idea about confidence and knowing your, your worth. So, again, it's very easy to be overwhelmed by schooling, by work, and, oh, my goodness, I have my degree. Now what am I going to do? Or, oh, my goodness, am I doing the right thing? It's very easy to become overwhelmed and discouraged um, or anxious. That's another big one, right? So the idea or the suggestion I would have for these new up-and-coming clinicians is recognize your worth. Know that you are doing your best wherever you are in the process. You are doing your best and you are on the right track. Try to remember that and believe that even when it's not obvious. And long-term, what's your plans for your business? Are you wanting to grow into like a pretty massive clinic one day? Like, What's your plans? I'm hoping one day to, yes, definitely open up my own clinic. But the idea, um, and my girlfriend, my wonderful girlfriend, Amanda, um, we were looking into this idea together where we have a treatment clinic that's all-encompassing or that's holistic so that we're not simply an autism treatment clinic where you know we provide services to your child, but it's encompassing the whole family. Because as I'm sure everyone knows, um, receiving a diagnosis or having your child receive a diagnosis is very heavy. And oftentimes parents neglect themselves uh, and, and completely focus on their child and, and supporting their child. And again, it's very daunting. And a lot of marriages are strained by it. Um, personal mental health is strained. So the global goal or the overall goal for me and my clinic would be to open up um, a beautiful, massive, holistic center where families can come, have their child's uh, needs met, but also have their needs met as well. That's pretty exciting. I kind of got shivers mm -hmm. thinking about it because that's kind of cool. <laughs> I get that a lot. I like just whenever you really break it down to like the pure science, like just thinking about your business. I mean, I could see you having mm -hmm. some counselors there. Like there's mm -hmm. a lot of different mm -hmm. things that you could, heck, you could almost include like a CBD, like THC shop. But then like, there's so many things you could do, honestly. Absolutely. And the, uh, the possibilities are definitely endless. And if this spikes an idea for, for one of our listeners, like run with it. Go with it. Just uh, copyright me so I can get uh, half the profit. <laughs> I'll put that in the show notes just in case. There we uh, go. <laughs> all right. So we are going to go ahead and start wrapping some things up. 
What advice do you wish you could have told yourself when you were getting into behavior analysis or school that you know now? Or is there something you wish you would have done differently? Um, I think, again, jumping into this field when I was just starting off as a, as a BT, um, I didn't have prior ABA experience or, or knowledge for that matter. And I think the RBT certification, I was trying to look at when it came out. I don't know if it was in the last five years. I should probably know this. But anywho, I think having previous knowledge of what ABA is and having some basic tools definitely would have made my life easier in the field of ABA. I kind of had to pick up and, and learn as I went along, which definitely caused a lot of stress. Um, but, you know, that was my path. And again, if I could give myself some some guidance, I would have said, hey, pick up a book, learn some ABA before you jump into it. Learn how to collect data, learn how to implement programs. Um, just get the basics down. That would be number one. Number two, as I mentioned again before, um, value. Knowing your value. I, I can't express that enough. It took me, I've been in the field of special needs for 10 years. It took me 10 years to realize my value and to really highlight the idea that all I want to do is help people. And if I remember that, and if I focus on that, I can't go wrong. And honestly, that plays a huge part. I feel like you don't want to work for a business that's all about just getting the money, each BCBA mm -hmm. getting 15, 18 clients. Like they're not getting the most effective treatment. I don't care what you say. That there's just no way. Absolutely. And you know what? Um, just to add one more point, connectivity. Connecting to your work and the people you work with. So one of the things that I think I'm, I thrive with, or one of my strongest qualities is my ability to connect with my families. So with the kiddos themselves, but also with the parents. Um, and I think again, for any good quality clinician, connecting to your families, connecting to your kiddos is pivotal. And I, that is so true. Like, I don't care what anyone has to say, like having empathy towards like their parents and mm -hmm. you need to have, that has to be there because they're going, who knows what they're going with. I mean, you know, you have them for a few hours a day and that's it, but they have to put them to bed. They have to get them dressed. They have to bathe them. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that was definitely a good point. That empathy again, uh, crucial when working with families because they're welcoming you not only into their homes, um, but into their lives, right? And you're, you know, God willing, you're with this family for an extended amount of time. So again, getting to their level. And when I say connection, I mean like more than just the, the definition of what connection means, like getting in there on a, again, dare I say it, an energetic or a, a spiritual level. So, John, where can uh, listeners find more about you and your dissemination efforts? Do you have any social media platforms they can find you on? I know you have a pretty funny Instagram handle, so I don't know if you want to give that out. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so, unfortunately, my Instagram is still personal. But, uh, again, I'm, I'm happy to 
uh, share and meet new friends. So the Instagram handle, uh, bear with me, everyone. It's Papa Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> yes. Um, find it if you will. It's there. And again, my website of my organization is the Colors of the Spectrum ABA. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure of time talking to you, John, and I'll include all of that in the show notes. The pleasure was mine, Alan. I look forward to chatting with you again. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the Behavior Trap podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with John. This conversation with John led to some interesting talks that I have yet to have on this podcast. Don't forget, you can follow the Behavior Trap podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, and Google Podcast. Also, if you're enjoying these podcasts, then give this podcast a five-star rating on wherever you're listening to this. Some positive reinforcement goes a long way. Looking forward to talking to more Everyday Behavior Analysts. See ya!